Good, good. Daniel 11. Uh, we're going to cover the last bit of the chapter there, and then we'll be in Daniel chapter 12. How many chapters are in Daniel? 12. Gene, do you know all things the Bible? <laughs> all right. So apparently the fifth and sixth graders are dismissed and the junior high and high school are staying in the service. So that's what I've been told. So if you are fifth and sixth grade, you can go or you can stay. It's totally up to you, but there is a class for you. We've titled the message today, The Rise and Fall of the Antichrist. The Rise and Fall of the Antichrist. I want to talk about the Antichrist today because I really don't like the Antichrist. I don't like anything about Satan, his minions. I am really over the influence of the enemy in our culture. It is wearing people out. It is thrashing people. Um, I just got word uh, a couple days ago about a young man who overdosed on fentanyl and passed away. And uh, I talked with a gal yesterday who was going to the service of a 17-year-old who committed suicide. I am, I am over the influence of the enemy on especially the younger generations in our world, they are just being overwhelmed by lies from the pit of hell. And so I just, as we understand something about, because as we understand something about the Antichrist, we understand something about Satan. Uh, we understand something about the schemes of the enemy in our culture. And we, I just want to remind us that greater... <laughs> Greater is he that is in us, Christ the Lord, than he that is in the world. And so we need to, by the grace of God, take authority over the enemy in our families, in our cultures, in our marriages, in our neighborhoods, in our places of employment. We need to pray and speak the truth in love in Jesus Christ so that people have a hope. I mean, Curtis has been talking about hope is here. Our signs say hope is here because of Jesus who is here. I, I, somebody asked me recently, I was talking to a sweet gal, um, a friend of mine's mom who is uh, not doing well, and um, I, I, I said, Gail, do you remember? Remember the, the, my wedding day that you made me breakfast on my wedding day? And she said, I don't even remember that. <laughs> I said, yeah, you made me breakfast on my wedding day. And she's getting ready to pass, and I, I, I told her, I said, you have had such a huge impact in my life because she was a she is she's a god-fearing incredible woman i was talking to her son yesterday and he's like i'm gonna lose my mom i don't even know what i'm gonna do without my mom because it's his mom but because she's been so influential in his life in such a safe place spiritually and in every way he said her whole life has been about loving Jesus and loving others. And man, that's what better epitaph can you have about, you know, what, what better thing can somebody say about your life? They love Jesus and they loved others. We love Jesus and we love others by reminding people, having those important and crucial conversations with people in the world who are just lacking hope and, and looking everywhere but to Jesus. 
searching everywhere but Jesus. And so as we understand something about the Antichrist today, I want us to be built up in our most holy faith that indeed greater is he. And that's not just a fun little verse for us. It is the truth that God who is in us, who has redeemed us, who is sanctifying us, he is powerful, powerful to save and to redeem and to sanctify and to give hope in this lost world. Imagine your life. I've often imagined my life if I didn't have Jesus. And I've said, all of, I've said this a lot. I would either be dead, addicted, or in prison. Well, that's the reality. Jesus saved my life, redeemed my life, And he's doing the same thing for all of us. He is saving us and redeeming us for his good pleasure, for our good, and for his glory. This is what God is all about. So let's, please, be reminded of that today. Let's go ahead and stand up. I'm going to read the word today, Daniel chapter 11. We're going to pray. We're going to honor the Lord as we stand and read the word. Lord, as we read the word, I pray that we would be reminded in Jesus' name, God, that we serve a victorious, mighty Savior who has saved us and redeemed us and who is indeed sanctifying our lives, who has gone to prepare a place for us that soon he may come and take us to that place so that we might enjoy his presence forever and ever. Amen. So as we are reminded about the schemes of the enemy, the Antichrist, the, uh, Satan, as we are reminded of what he is doing in the earth that we would be reminded that he is simply that the enemy of our soul is simply a created being and he is on a leash in Jesus name he is only allowed to do what God you allow him to do so let's Lord have a proper perspective of who we are who we are in the kingdom and who you are in the universe God you are creator and sustainer of all things you are omnipotent omniscient and omnipresent and we honor you as such Lord as we read your word in Daniel chapter 11 today. Be glorified. I pray that you would cause blinders to fall off our eyes, uh, callousness to fall off our hearts, Lord God, that we would have a readiness to receive and to live out your word by your grace and in your power. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 11, verses 36 through 45. Please stay standing. And the king shall do as he wills. We're speaking about the Antichrist, these arrogant Antichrists. This is what it says. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A god whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts." He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. 
at the time of the end, verse 40 says, at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships, and he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main parts of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. Verse 43, he shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train, but news from the east and the north shall alarm him. And he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. He shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. You may be seated. The word of the Lord, Daniel 11, 36 through 45. What does all of this mean? We win. <laughs> we win. Amen. We need to hold that perspective. We need to hold that perspective, especially in light of the crazy chaos that goes on in this world. This section is describing the rise and the fall of Antichrist. This section of Daniel 11 has future fulfillment. We talked about all of the historical fulfillment that, that has happened with earlier portions of Daniel 11. Uh, this has a future fulfillment. This part of Daniel will be fulfilled in the end of days when the Antichrist will come on the scene and will rise to power. And he indeed will rise to power for a season. He will rise to power for a moment and for a purpose. He will do as he wills. He will disregard God. He will exalt himself. He will magnify himself above every God. He will speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall go to war with other nations and he will have great victory, but he will end in great defeats. Maybe the worst of his deeds is his insolence, his blasphemous words against the God of gods. I can't imagine the arrogance of a person who would speak with such insolence and arrogance against the king of kings. The word astonishing in verse 36 speaks of his blasphemous words against the true and living God. The apostle John describes him similarly in the book of Revelation. In John's Revelation, Revelation 13, 5 through 9, he wrote, and the beast, the Antichrist, the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it, the Antichrist, was allowed to make war on the saints 
and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. John says, if you have ears to hear, listen to this warning that I write to you. You must make a decision to trust Jesus, to give your life to Jesus. There is no time to wait or to continue to try to figure out whether this is the right decision for your life, whether this is the right timing for your life. It is the right decision and it is the right timing for your life. Currently, if you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll remind us that we're there are two camps, two teams in the earth. There is the team of the Lord Jesus Christ and there is the team of Satan. So you are either team Satan or team Jesus. And if you're undecided about Jesus, you are on team Satan. So let me just remind you that team Satan is led by a liar and a, a lunatic. He is led by, it is led by someone who is out for your worst and wants to destroy your life. The Bible says that we have an adversary, the devil, who walks about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That is the enemy of your soul who has lured uh, thoughtless people into his camp trying to entice them with things that will satisfy for a moment, for a season, but will leave you and me feeling utterly empty and hopeless and without a future. David Jeremiah wrote this about the Antichrist. He said, the coming world leader, the Antichrist, will be renowned for his eloquence. So don't be surprised if the enemy is uh, speaking smooth words to you to try to win you over. The coming world leader will be renowned for his eloquence, which will capture the attention and administrations of the world. The combination of his magnetic personality, speaking ability, and extreme good looks will make him virtually irresistible to the masses. We must be on guard. Satan comes as an angel of light to lure us in, making promises that he has no capacity to fulfill, no ability to fulfill. Verse 36 says, he shall prosper until the indignation is complete. So he will have control over the whole world, but only as long as God allows it. The indignation is generally understood, that word in the Old Testament, to refer to the wrath of God. And in this case, the tribulation period when God will pour out his wrath on sinful humanity. Verse 37 says, the Antichrist, that he, the Antichrist, shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the beloved, to the one beloved by women. He will have no regard for the God of gods, he will have no regard. This reference to the one beloved by women is a reference to the Messiah. 
the, the Hebrew nation had been longing for a Messiah. Some who don't recognize as Jesus, who don't recognize Jesus as Messiah, are still longing for the Messiah to come. So the Hebrew women have longed to be chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. So that's why it says, to the one beloved by women speaking of the Messiah. So this Antichrist has no regard for God or for the true Messiah. He is anti meaning instead of um, opposed to, he is anti-Christ in every way that a person can be anti-Christ. Verse 37 again says that he shall pay no attention to the gods of his father or to the one beloved by women. Do we understand the heart of this deceiver? He is a deceiver through and through. He is a liar through and through. So whatever deception that we're being sucked into as the body of Christ throughout the course of our walk as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be aware that he will try to entice us with no regard for God or the Messiah. His purpose in the earth is to bring us down, to destroy the people of the earth, especially the body of Christ. The Antichrist will pay no attention to the real Christ, the Messiah. Verse 37 says, he shall pay no attention to any other God for he shall, he shall magnify himself above all. Just like Satan, Lucifer, I will be like the most high God. So Satan and his unholy trinity, Satan, the Antichrist and the false prophet, they're all about the same agenda uh, that Lucifer had going way back. So the Antichrist will be just like Lucifer, exalting himself, and if it were possible, above God himself. That's the futility of their thinking, their understanding, their, even though Satan has been cast down and his destiny has been written, he is trying to take down as many people as Possible. Verse 38 says, he shall honor the God of fortresses. So his focus will be a very human-like, putting his trust in earthly strength. And isn't that a temptation that the enemy uses in our lives? He tries to tempt us to put our trust in earthly things, things that we can manage, things that we can understand, things that we can calculate, things that we can control. He wants us to put our trust in earthly things. That is what he is all about. That's what we'll see unfold in this tribulation period. And that's what he wants us to be all about. Why? Because if we get our focus and put our trust in earthly things, then we remove our focus and our trust in the one true God. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto us. And so as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is our first and primary responsibility to trust God. He has called us, he has saved us, he has redeemed us, he is, he is reconciling us to himself that we might put the full weight of our trust in him. And we need to be careful as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ not to put our faith in anything else, worldly possession or authority or influence. We must be careful. The enemy is sly and he will say, isn't this a good idea? And we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we say, well, it's only a good idea if it means I'm putting the full weight of my faith and trust in Jesus. 
It is not a good idea if it means I'm putting my faith or my trust in anything else but Jesus. It's very simplistic, but it's very difficult to walk out, and we walk it out by the grace of God. Psalm 62, 8 through 10 says this. It says, people always put your trust in God. Tell him all your problems. God is our place of safety. Selah. And so we think about that. We have moments in the service where we're quiet because we need to think about it. We need to ponder who it is that we serve. And with quietness, especially in this culture where we're always plugged in, we're always listening or watching something. And the most important part, part of disciplines of a person who walk with Jesus is the discipline of silence, where we're stopping all of the input even good teaching or good Christian music, there's a time where we just need to stop and ponder the goodness of God, the power of God, the awesomeness of God. We stop and we say, God, I just want to listen. And the temptation during those moments is, how long is this going to last? <laughs> what are we going to do? Can I just encourage us as the church to, in those moments, just... Be silent and find in that place of quiet the peace of God, the joy of God, a renewed trust in God. With all the busyness of life, we get frantic, confused, and frustrated, and angry, distracted. And we're trying to do everything we can to find some level of peace through all kinds of activity. Can I remind us all <laughs> that real peace only comes through a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything else is a distraction. Everything else is uh, the enemy just trying to get us thinking about something else. And so stop, be quiet, have a Selah moment. Verse 9, Psalm 62, 8 says, people cannot really help. You cannot depend on them. Compared to God, they are nothing, no more than a gentle puff of air. And yet so often we put our trust in people powerful people who might be able to help us, who might be able to uh, comfort us and minister to us. People cannot really help. You cannot depend on them. Compared to God, they are nothing, no more than a gentle puff of air. Don't trust in your power to take things by force. Don't think you will gain anything by stealing. And if you become wealthy, don't put your trust in riches. Over and over again, through the Old Testament and New Testament, we know that the people of God found the wisdom of God and the direction of God and the guidance and counsel of God as they just waited 
on him in his good timing, trusting that he will show up when the time is right. And in the meantime, we get to grow in our ability to believe him, trust him, follow him walking by faith and not by sight. We just grow in that capacity to when when everything seems like it's going sideways to believe, no, my God, he's still on the throne. My God can still be trusted. I still believe my God. In those moments, those Selah moments remind us that God can be trusted. The enemy of our soul wants us distracted by materialism. Waldward, a theologian, wrote, in keeping with his complete materialism, the Antichrist, his activities are characterized by warfare and honoring those who honor him. It's a worldly system. Verse 39 says, those who acknowledge him, the Antichrist, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. But listen, whatever the enemy can offer us, air quotes, whatever he can offer to us is only temporary. It will never last. Any form of satisfaction, any form of, any kind of, any kind of good that might come, or temporary fulfillment, it's always temporary because he is a liar and the father of lies. So the Antichrist will work his materialistic materialistic system and he will reward those who work with him. He will bribe people to follow him. Remember, though, he is a liar and the father of lies. He cannot be trusted He cannot be trusted, and his reign will be short. So we're sometimes trusted or tempted to trust in material things. We all are. We're we're tempted to put our faith in material things, temporal things, earthly things. But God is saying, trust me. Seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. The world system tells you to look out for yourself. Look out for number one. The world system will tell you to align yourself with the right people. The world system works for a while, but it does not, it does not ultimately deliver. Instead, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Is what I'm doing, Lord, is what I'm considering honoring you. It is an honor, the instruction and direction in your word. Understand through the understanding of the word of God, understand how he wants you to live in this earth. Seek his will in everything. Yield to his lordship in everything. Put your faith in him alone, not in powerful people. Listen, I've titled this message, The Rise and Fall of the Antichrist for a reason. There is a rise and then there is a great fall. The Antichrist will certainly rise as the Lord allows, as the Lord allows, but the Antichrist will also have a great and terrible fall as the Lord has written. 
In verses 40 through 45 of Daniel 11, we see a confederation of kings coming against this great leader. Why is this confederation of kings coming against this great leader? Because he cannot deliver. They begin to see through his deception and lies. And so in the beginning, he's promising all of these great things like he does always to every person so it hasn't changed in the end of days. He makes big promises, but the people of the earth will begin to see through and understand that he cannot deliver on his promises. And so there's a great federation of kings uh, that will assemble against this uh, great leader with the battle in and near the Holy Land. Verse 40 says, at the time of the end. The king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. He shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. So he'll have moments of victory, but in the end, he will be defeated. The time of the end introduced in verse 35 is again mentioned to clear to make clear that this military struggle here is that which, which is characterized by the end of time. So this is future. David Guzik writes, prophetically speaking, a precise identification of peoples mentioned is difficult. The king of the south may be Egypt or represent the Arab community. Theologian Walvoord wrote, the probability is that it involves much more than only Egypt and can be identified as an African army. And so a big cohort of people are going to be coming against him. Guzik wrote, the king of the north may be the Antichrist domain as the new Antiochus Epiphanes, or it may be Russia. The precise, listen, the precise points may be cloudy, but the general idea is clear. You want to know what the general idea is? Yes or no? Okay, I do too. (laughs) The end, (laughs) the end will be marked by a great conflict. The Antichrist will secure some victories as illustrated in Daniel 11, 42 and 43, but culminating in the world's armies gathering in the promised land to do a final battle against the Antichrist. Verse 45 says, and he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. In the end, there is no hope for the Antichrist or for any of his followers. In the end, there is no hope for anybody apart from the saving grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is crucial that we understand the eternal schemes of the enemy. It's eternal. It's since his creation, he's been about this evil work. His tricks and ways are as old as he is. And so what do we know from this passage? What do we know about the Antichrist? Well, number one, we know that the Antichrist is powerful, but we also know that his power is limited by God in the end of days and now. He's powerful, but his power is limited by God. We also know, number two, that Antichrist will always attempt 
to exalt himself, but he can never be God. He is not omnipotent, all-powerful. He is not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. He is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere present present at once. He is not God. He will attempt to exalt himself as God, but he is not God. He is not even close to God. He's not even a, a, a good replica of God. We've got nothing to fear as long as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let everything else be and he'll let everything else be added unto us we need to seek first god antichrist will always attempt to exalt himself and he will seem more powerful than he is but he can never be god he is simply a created being on a leash we will consider him when we see him at the end of times and we will wonder why why did we allow ourselves to get duped and confused and tempted by this fallen creature? Why, when the all-powerful King of kings and Lord of lords is in our lives, giving us capacity to overcome, giving us wisdom and strength, supernaturally so, to stand firm as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? We will, we will grieve when we see him, wondering how we let him have such an influence in our lives. What else do we know about the Antichrist? Number three, Antichrist is an arrogant boasting liar and wants only your destruction. God, on the other hand, is humble. Have you ever thought about God as being humble? It was a humble God who took on human form in the incarnation, born of a virgin as an infant. It's a humble God who decided out of his great grace and love for us to come and die for our sins so that we might know him and be with him for all eternity. God is humble, always telling the truth and wants the best for you. So they're completely opposite, God and the enemy, completely opposite. The enemy wants to destroy your life. Jesus wants to save your life. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. I need that. And I only find rest for my soul when I'm in Christ. I only find anxiety and frustration and disappointment when I'm falling for the tricks of the enemy but when I believe Jesus say no to that by his grace and in his strength and because of his power I find rest for my soul there's no better place to be there's no better place to be with that in mind we're going to take communion communion is the church believers the body of Christ remembering what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago as a humble God who loves a broken people in the incarnation. He came and died on a cross for my sins and for your sins. So we take communion on the first Sunday of every month to remember that, but then also to 
pause and say thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. Whether you've been a Christian for 40 years or four months or four days, this is a sacred, a sacred moment. And so please, please let this be a sacred moment where we turn our eyes to Jesus. We turn our attention to him and we say, Jesus, thank you. Apart from you, I was lost, broken, and without hope. But in you, I have new life. I am, I am being born again, sanctified, and redeemed by your great grace. And so I thank you, Lord. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. But you're hearing this message today and you know that you need to give your life to Jesus. If you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus, this is how you give your life to Jesus. You simply say from a pure and tender heart with brokenness, say, Lord, I need you. As you pray, the Lord is listening. As you say, Lord, I need you. I need you to forgive me. I need you to love me. I need you to welcome me into your family. Lord, I need you. I'm tired of being spent by the world and thrashed by the world and thrashed by my decisions, thrashed by the enemy. I'm tired of it, Lord. I'm worn out by it. I need you to to rescue me and to give me, finally, once and for all, great joy and great peace in my life. And so you say, God, I welcome you into my life. I thank you that you died on the cross, shedding your blood for my sins so that I might be forgiven. I receive it, Lord. I need it all. I'm taking it all in, Lord God. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I'm done following the ways of the world and falling into the traps of the enemy. I'm done with that, Lord. I want to follow you. And so as you make that declaration to the, to the Lord, the Lord hears it. And the Bible says that when one sinner comes to repentance, when one person who has been separated by God because of sin, when they find faith and favor with God, when they find new life with Jesus, all of heaven erupts and there is a celebration. All of heaven is for you. All of heaven longs for you to come into this place of grace and forgiveness and eternal life that is available in and only through Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And so I'm going to read a passage of scripture out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And then once we've read the passage, we will stand and we will sing and worship And as we stand and sing and worship, as we're ready, we will take the elements. One, just as you're ready, just at your seat, you'll take the elements. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. This is the word of the Lord. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. And so, Lord, we remember, and Lord, we are so incredibly humbled and thankful for what you made available to us by your great grace. Lord, we are so, so thankful. Jesus, we invite you to speak to us and to lead us and to bless us as we stand and sing and take communion. God, we love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand.